Well, good morning, fam. So good to be together in the presence of the Lord and uh, count it a joy and privilege to be able to share uh, the gospel with you. And um, I don't say this with pride, but I say this with a deep sense of joy that I've got some good news for you today. Some good news. And uh, excited about that good news. But uh, first, I do want to uh, thank Pastor Doug for giving me the opportunity to do this. I don't know where he went. Oh, there he is. Um, being Working alongside of him and also by being a, a PK, which is Pastor's Kid, for some of you who don't know the logo there, um, I kind of know firsthand of what the stress of what a leader goes through. You know, um, of wrestling with God, I want to please you, but then having so many voices of people wanting you to please them. And I think sometimes we have these high expectations and we really don't know the level of warfare. And it's just really generous and gracious of you to be able to share your platform with me. And I don't take that for granted. And I thank you so much. And uh, can we just thank him for serving and leading us. Now, uh, Ruth, man, oh man, I, I'm a little overwhelmed when I think about this book. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, God's word is always amazing. Uh, but uh, the study of this book has really been transformational for me. And um, so I'm going to attempt to land this plane, but please realize that words are so inadequate and too small to be able to describe what my heart would love to share with you and what I believe is God's heart for us. Um, if you haven't been with us during these series, I encourage you to go back and listen uh, to, the ser- to the beginning of the series and follow up. Um, I'm a context person, so it's really hard for me not to give a whole lot of context, but I'm going to do my best not to, uh, just because we need the time. If you were here last week, you know that we went through chapter three, and there were so many things in chapter three uh, to, to work through and to hear and to get to what God was saying. And as we explore chapter three, we know that Naomi, uh, who's Ruth's mother-in-law, Uh, Of course, Naomi's husband and her sons uh, and Ruth's husband have passed away. And they are fending for themselves. And Ruth has been serving her mother-in-law faithfully and selflessly. And Naomi in chapter 3, she says, look, she says, I have got to do something good for you. I've got to look out for you because you've been looking out for me. And she instructs or kind of mentors Ruth and how to approach Boaz so that Boaz could marry her. And, um, and so Ruth, you, I mean, Naomi tells her, you know, hey, put your perfume on, put your nice dress on, and I'm going to tell you how to approach the situation. And uh, Boaz, who is a, a good man, uh, just as equally in virtue as Ruth, um, you know, they're in the situation, um, you just have to listen to you know, the, third, the chapter three in the series, I can't give it all to you today, but, you know, Ruth approaches 
And instead of approaching the way that Naomi wanted her to, Ruth, still living selflessly, asked Boaz to redeem her, which was something totally different. And to redeeming her involved redeeming the land of the family, buying the land of the family, but also giving Ruth a child to continue the family line. And Boaz is blown away by it, and he says, oh, you know, thank you. This is such a great honor. That's my paraphrase. This is such a great honor. I, I want to say yes, but in the laws of being a redeemer or a family redeemer, you have to be the closest of kin. And while Ruth is waiting for the answer, Boaz says, I'm not the closest of kin. And we all go, oh. And Boaz says, but wait, I know who he is. And let me go and deal with him. You go back to Naomi and allow me to work this out. And we end chapter three with Naomi saying, hey, just wait. Be patient and allow him to do what he said he would do. And so that's enough context for me. So hopefully it is for you. We go to chapter four. And reading in chapter four, Ruth chapter four, beginning at verse one, it reads as follows. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, the gate is what we would say is downtown where the business is conducted, and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. My paraphrase, come let me holler at you. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Oh, no. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require, acquire Ruth, the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, uh-oh, I, I, I can't not redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. My paraphrase, what you talking about, Willis? Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech 
and all that belonged to Chilion and Mahalan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalan. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. My paraphrase, may y'all have a whole bunch of kids. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. No paraphrase. Then the woman said to Naomi, <laughs> Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, the genealogy of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon or Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Oh, what an ending to that story. Now, so much in here to get to, and I want to speed up to my notes here and see where I am. All right, so we said the issue was the survival of the family name because Elimelech and his two sons have died. And the other issue was keeping family land in the family. The request, Naomi, her intention was to get Boaz to marry Ruth. Ruth initiated something different. She said, redeem me, which meant revive the family line and buy the land. She's not thinking of herself, or maybe she is a little bit, but ultimately she's thinking of her mother-in-law. Give her a son so the family can continue. The delay was he is not the closest of kin. He must give the nearest kin the opportunity. Now, when we get to the opportunity where Boaz goes to do business, nameless, that's what we're going to call the brother, because we don't have his name, he accepts the opportunity to buy the land because he's thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, right? 
He's like, oh, if I get a chance to buy some land, this is, I mean, that's a good business deal. To get some land and to increase my inheritance? Oh, man. Okay, I'm down. I'll buy it. And then Boaz hits him with the fine print. It was kind of slick how Boaz did that, right? And Boaz was like, hey, you can redeem the land, you know? He's like, I will redeem it. And then Boaz was like, as soon as you do, you get Ruth the Moabitess, and you got to give her a kid so the family line can continue. And then he was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, my pockets ain't deep enough for that. And what he's saying is, wait a minute, he's doing the math in his head. If I have a son by Ruth, then I'm going to have to divide this inheritance even more. Now, what he's doing is he's doing a cost analysis, right? Any smart person, smart business person would do that. You would weigh how much it costs. And he reasons that it costs too much. But Brother Boaz is like, okay, so I'll take it from what he knows of Naomi and from what he knows of Ruth. He's like, ain't no price too high for this sister. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to step in and I'm going to do this. And so he does it. He doesn't want to divide the inheritance. Now, I want to talk about the purpose of Ruth. Now, we hear a lot about, well, I don't know, maybe you've heard, if you've heard some teachings on Ruth before, the theme of kinsman redeemer looms the largest. Where we hear about, oh man, Boaz, he was the kinsman redeemer. He redeemed uh, Naomi's land. He, he took Ruth, redeemed the family line. Oh, he is like Christ, our redeemer. And yes, that is true. But I believe there's something underlining that law of kinsman redeemer. Because often we know God through his laws, but we don't know what's behind the laws. And so I think it's important we see, yes, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, but what was behind him being a kinsman redeemer? What was even the purpose for that? And so I want to talk about not just kinsman redeemer, but I want to spend time talking about this word, the word chesed. And forgive me if y'all get sprayed, but Hesed is spelled H-E-S-E-D, but the way you pronounce it is with the ch, you know? So you say chesed. Now, I won't have you look at your neighbor and say it because we'll be calling the ushers to bring tissue so y'all can <laughs> wipe your face. Kind of gross. But Pastor Doug introduced us to this word a couple of weeks ago, and he gave us some words that kind of get at what chesed means. Uh, first of all, it's radical. It's extraordinary, it's uncommon, it's unpredictable, it's reckless love. Now, that term reckless, you might be thinking, wait a minute now, the God I serve is not reckless. But what this means is they don't put themselves, you know, before the individual or the person or the thing that they're loving. Another word for reckless is called prodigal. You may remember the parable of the prodigal son. Well, what the story really ends up being about is the prodigal father. Because the older son feels like, Dad, why are you wasting your inheritance on this wayward son? 
And so it's about a father who is so generous that he's viewed as being wasteful. So when we talk about reckless love, we're talking about a God who does whatever it takes to love his children. Now, when we talk about hesed, this word in the book of Ruth, this word, first of all, let me just tell you how huge this is. It's mentioned in the Old Testament 248 times. Hesed is mentioned 248 times. And I'll explain how in a little bit. But in the book of Ruth, we see it in Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 8. This is the first time it's mentioned. It says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word kindly is the word chesed. Now, what the word does not mean is nice. That's not what the word means. She's not saying, oh, you've been so nice to me. I hope God is so nice to you. That's not what she's saying. The next time we see the word in the book of Ruth is Ruth, the second chapter in the 20th verse. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, speaking of Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So that kindness is the word chesed. The next time it shows up is in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, this is Boaz talking to Ruth, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. That word kindness is the word chesed. Now, those are the only times that it's mentioned in the book of Ruth. And you may be wondering, well, it's only mentioned three times. How in the world can the book of Ruth be about Hesed? Well, one of the things about Hesed is it's not just a concept. It's an action. It's something that must be expressed. And so in the book of Ruth, we see that God really doesn't speak through a prophet He's not speaking in conversation, he's speaking in demonstration. The way that Ruth shows Hesit to Naomi, the way that Boaz shows Hesit to Ruth, the way that other people refuse to live in Hesit. Now, you may be saying, okay, okay, you gotta give me more on this word Hesit, but before I do that, I wanna show you something that was written by a rabbi um, in the Midrash writings, a, a Jewish writer, he says this. He says, this megala or scroll does not, talking about Ruth, he says, does not contain laws of impurity or purity or prohibitions or permits. So why was it written? He said, it was written to teach you how good is the reward for those who do kindness, who do chesed. Now, Hesed is a broad spectrum word. It's a word that doesn't translate into English perfectly. And what I mean by broad spectrum, in Proverbs, uh, there's a little proverb that says, three, a three-strand cord is not easily broken. And what it means is if you've got three strands, it's, it's pretty strong. So I want you to think about hesed as a rope, and these are the three strands that make up hesed. And I'll start with number three instead of starting with number one. Number three is love. Love is selfless, right? 
Love, you agree? Love is selfless. So think of that. Number two, the other word that makes up a strand is steadfastness. This means that it doesn't give up easily. It endures. Not only does it endure, but it pursues. Number one is strength. This word hesed is a strong word. It's a strong kind of love. It's a love that pursues, that doesn't give up easily, and isn't weak at all. When you think about this, this is a powerful word. How many of you need hesed in your life? God is a God of hesed. Now, there are four concepts of hesed that I want to give you. Please bear with me. I know it's a lot of information, but I feel that this is so important. Four concepts of hesed. Number one, hesed flows from compassion, not obligation. When you talk about it's my duty to perform hesed. No, 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 no. It's not an obligation. It's not like, oh, you know, it's, you know, a paycheck. You know, you get a paycheck because you performed a certain task or you did a certain amount of work. That's not hesed. Hesed is you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It flows strictly from a heart of compassion. Number two is it, it assumes reciprocity. And what do we mean by that? That once you are a recipient of hesed, because you've experienced it, you want to return it. And that's not out of a sense of obligation. It's just that you're just so overwhelmed from receiving it. You're like, oh, I just got to give it back. Number three is hesed must be passed on to others. It's not something that you as an individual can possess on your own. And number four gets to this. It cannot be individual, but it exists in relationship. It exists in relationship. That hesed flows outwardly. Now, in hesed, I'll give you two more examples. We see hesed in the book of Ruth. The decision that Ruth and her sister-in-law, Orpah, have to make. You know, Naomi's like, hey, you got your whole life ahead of you. Why don't you go back to where, to where you come from? May God help you to find husbands so you can get on with your life, have children. I don't have much else to offer you. Orpah is like, no, I want to go with you. She says, girl, I told you, go home. And Orpah, she goes. But, and Orpah, we don't criticize her for her decision because once again, she made a reasonable decision. But Ruth says, stop telling me to go back. Where you go, I'm going. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you stay, that's where I'm going to stay. And God do harm to me if I let anything separate us other than death. Now that right there, it sounds like Orpah is kind of saying, hey, I'm thinking about my future. I'm thinking about what I have left. I can, yeah, I can definitely see me going home. That's a good plan. I'm going to write that vision down, and I'm going to go do it. Now, Ruth is faced with uncertainty. I know I could go home. This is so reasonable. It's such a good thing to do. I can see how that works out. But she chooses to stick 
with Naomi not knowing the outcome. She's not thinking of herself, but she's thinking of loving her mother-in-law, and this is an example of Hesed. We also see it in the chapter that we read today where Boaz and Nameless are having this conversation. And Nameless makes a business decision, right? But Boaz makes a Hesed decision. He's not worried about his pockets being hurt or harmed because he knows, look, this is going to be way better than what I spend. Because he's seen Hesed already overflowing, so he ain't, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. He's not even, he's not even thinking about that. Now, bear with me here. I want to demonstrate through Scripture, through the Word of God, that Hesed doesn't originate with us. It originates with God. Now, all of these things that Hesed is, you know that you and I are not capable of coming up with that kind of love. I mean, some of us in here have been given up on, and we've given up on others. <laughs> you know, we had love, we had the kind of love that was like, you stick me in the eye, I'm going to stick you in the eye. Now you do me right, I'm going to do you right. We, you know, we kind of gotten that love. That's that human kind of love. But chesed is something completely different. This flows from the heart of God. And I want to give you some other examples of where chesed is mentioned. And I am going to go to the book of Exodus. I got a ton of examples, but I want to narrow them down here. In Exodus, the 34th chapter, 6 and 7, you could just make note of it. You don't have to turn there. Moses is having a dialogue with God, and he says to God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll let my goodness pass before you. And this is what it says in chapter 34, looking at verse 7. No, ver looking at verse 6, it says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. God makes this proclamation. The Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What's he saying here? God is giving, he's giving, he's revealing himself to Moses. Moses asks him, he says, okay, let me give you a revelation of who I am. He says, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger. How many of you really believe that about God? He's slow to anger. But it says he's abounding in steadfast love. And that word steadfast love is, you guessed it, you guessed it. And I, I highlighted the word faithfulness because that's a word, a myth, which means truth. But I just want, I don't want to delve into that word. It'd be a little too much, but I just want you to keep that in mind because that's going to play out later. But he's saying, look, I'm abounding, I'm overflowing with hesed. It's overflowing, meaning 
it, I'm running over with it. That's, that's who I am. It's an expression of everything that I've done for you. It flows from Hesed. He says, and look, I'm, my forgiveness, it flows from Hesed. Anybody that wants to come to me, they can receive this Hesed. As a matter of fact, I'm pursuing them with Hesed. Now we got to move. We got to move. We got to move. All right, 1 Kings 3, 6. This is a prayer when Solomon became king, he's praying this prayer. Pay attention here. And Solomon said in this prayer, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. That steadfast love is the word. Man, y'all got this down. Now we're going to go to Psalms 25.10. You can just write it down. These are all the places where we see chesed. Uh, 25.10, not all the places, just some, a few of the places. 25.10 reads like this. All the paths of the Lord every last one of them, are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. It says all of his ways are steadfast love. All of his ways are chesed. This, this is the kind of God that we worship and that we serve. He's overflowing with this steadfast love. He's abounding. It's not like he does steadfast things. The only reason he does steadfast things is because that's who he is. That's who he is. It's an expression of his character. Psalm 40, 11. This is David, a descendant of Ruth, who writes, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. There it is again, the word chesed. Now, I'm going to end it with this last one on Psalm 105. It says this, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures for 30 seconds. Forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Powerful stuff. Listen, God is abounding in Hesed. Some of the ways this word Hesed is translated, we just read about steadfast love. Sometimes it's translated loyal love. Sometimes it's translated uh, strong love. Sometimes it's translated mercy. You know, Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That love mercy is to love chesed. This is who God is. So looking at the beginning of time, before God began the beginning, God is chilling with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because they're communion, they're community. God the Father is giving Hesed to the Son. The Son is giving Hesed to the Holy Spirit. And they're sharing this Hesed. And because Hesed cannot 
just be contained. This hesed overflows in God creating the cosmos in hesed. If you ever wondered the reason for your existence, I don't know why the people who laid down had you. I don't know what their motives were. But the reason that you exist is because you are here because of God's chesed. It's his chesed. The things that he created, he said, it's good. This was his chesed. And I believe one of the reasons he said to Adam, it's not good for this man to be alone is because he's going to have all this hesed and no one to share it with. Puts him to sleep, pulls out a rib and shapes that rib. And he says, whoa, man, now hesed can be multiplied. Now, you know we're not robots. So because we're receiving this hesed, God loves receiving hesed. And so he gave them some commands and some rules to obey that flowed from his hesed. The commands were not just to prevent them from having fun. No, the commands were God's way of loving them. But they chose not to return the hesed to him. And something happened where it just caused just a, a rift in the cosmos. Now, instead of us living in an environment of hesed, we now live in a selfish environment where instead of living for some, loving someone without motive, loving someone without them requiring something, now we've got hate. And now we've got selfishness where I'm looking out for myself. And we see the result of that even in our day. We were told in the book of Ruth, that's what, that's what was happening in their time in the book of Judges. Everybody was doing right what was in their own eyes, doing what was right according to their viewpoint. And the book of Ruth is there to say, hey, in a time where there is no ethics, the ethics should arise from Hesed, which Jesus says is simply to love God with all that you are and, love, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is Hesed. Now I want to show you something. I've been showing you steadfast love and faithfulness all the way through because those are linked. John, who's writing in the New Testament, and John is writing, you know, the New Testament is in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. And so he's writing with Hebrew thought, but he's writing in Greek. And so he says this about God. He, he takes us to the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we're going to skip a little bit, and we're going to go to John 1, 14, 18, and just listen to what I read. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth full of chesed and ameth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was of he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side, but he has made him known. What is he saying? He's like, look, okay, I know that in the Old Testament you've known of Hesed by the mighty acts that I've done, but now it's going to happen differently. In Hebrews, the writer says this. It says, in times past, God spoke through his prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken through his son. Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is the last word on everything. God says, look, I know that I've been trying to get you to understand and comprehend my hesed. But you know, we're always putting the law before hesed. We're always putting holiness before hesed. You know, because the law tells us what God requires, but often we don't comprehend, we don't know that it flows from Hesed. And so we're trying to obey, we're trying to fix ourselves, and the more we try to approach God through the law, it just creates distance. Because we're saying, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Oh, I just got to work harder and harder to get myself together. And we don't know that Hesed is moving close. Another place where Hesed is mentioned is David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely they will follow me. That word follow is pursue. He's saying God's Hesed pursues me. God is trying to chase us down saying, look, I want to reveal my heart to you. And, we're keep, and we keep putting the law in between us. Oh God, I'm not good enough I feel condemned and I feel guilty, but God is trying to say, hey, I'm slow to anger. I'm slow to anger. I've got so much love to give you. I've got so much, so, to, so much love to pour out on you. As a matter of fact, as we look at Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, the foundation of his ministry were these words. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God spoke that over him. And no sooner than that moment, he went into the wilderness and Satan tried to attack that identity. God wants us to hear of his love. As the worship band comes, I want you to really receive God's hesed. Some of you were, maybe, you, maybe you're in a place where you feel like, I don't know, I've tried, I just can't comprehend God's love. I feel like I can't receive it, I feel like there's blockage. And I really believe that God wants to touch you in the area of your emotions. Now, I want you to hear me on this. Now, I'm not saying that I want you to be super emotional people. Hear me what I'm saying. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants all of us. And sometimes because of the hurt and the wounds that we've experienced in life, you know where they stick? They stick in our emotions. You know, we don't want to be emotional with God, but when we get angry, that's an emotion. When people have hurt us, that's a strong emotion. And the Lord wants us to just receive. Some of you just need a touch from him, saying, God, I don't know what the blockage has been, but it's like I, I can't feel it. God wants to touch you today in your emotions. If you will come to him, he is a merciful God. We need to live and abide in his essence.
That's why we talk about 15 minutes with God, not so you can check it off the list as a thing to do, but so you can sit and rest in his hesed so that you can abide. So just like Jesus heard the words, this is my beloved son, we need to hear the words, that's my boy or that's my daughter. One of the things that the rabbis wrote is they said the, one of the clearest examples of hesed on a human level is the way that a parent loves a child. That child comes into the world and that child hasn't done anything extraordinary. As a matter of fact, that child is crying, pooping all over the place, and they're like, oh, so cute, so cute. Now, I would go a little bit further. You know, I'm saying I, I can, I can experience, I've experienced that six times, and I, for the sixth child, I didn't know that I would have enough love for number six, but let me tell you, love came out the woodworks for that baby. But then I see something else. Have you ever seen Doug and Meg with their grandkids? The way that grandparents love their grandbabies? They're not even thinking about right and wrong. They're just pouring love out on them. But that comes from the heart of God. And some of us are so burned down from trying to measure up. And God is saying, look, I just want to pour love on you. Because when you receive my love and you rest in my love, then obedience is going to flow out of that. That's where God wants to get us to. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come as well because they're going to be here praying for you that if there's any blockage, anything holding you back, if you, look, you may be skeptical, but I challenge you, just come. You know what Thomas said? I ain't believing that he rose for the dead unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hand or in his side. And you know what Jesus did? He walked through the door with the clothes and said, here you go, buddy. He's, Hesed meets you where you are. It's not waiting for you to arrive. It's pursuing you, chasing you down. So as they begin to sing, I'm going to ask you just to hear the words of this song. Some of you are going to feel moved to worship and celebrate and rejoice God through this song. Others of you just simply need to make your way here and don't wait and to receive prayer. And I'll be back in a, a few moments here.
tried to curse the people of God and it was declared that they would not be in the assembly of God's people. But all those who come to God, he doesn't refuse them. He embraces them. And so who is this woman? She is a trophy of God's grace. This man that she marries, who is Boaz? Well, Boaz, his mother is one of the women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Her name is Rahab, and she was a harlot. And God's people were getting ready to come into Jericho, and two spies went into the land, and they found refuge in Rahab's house. And they said to Rahab, because you have showed us kindness, because you've shown us chesed, we're going to show you chesed. When the city is destroyed, everybody within your house is going to be saved. Who is Boaz? He's a trophy of grace. Who are you and I? With all of our imperfections, with all of our hurts, with all of our wounds, we are just as they are, trophies of grace that God pours out his hesed upon us. Now, if you're here and God's moving in your heart, I just want to tell you about a few things that the prayer team prayed for this morning. These were the words that they got. They got that there is a need for surrender. Somebody is wanting to obey 
but they're afraid and they're holding back. Perfect love casts out all fear. There were some who need deliverance from evil voices, from addictions, and you want to be free. Today's the day of salvation. Many of you are coming because maybe, hey, there's joy in your heart and you just want to celebrate God's goodness. I want to invite you all at, at the end of the service to come down and receive prayer. The prayer team is, they're ready to pray for you and to be a conduit of God's hesed to you. Please stand to your feet. the almighty and all-wise all God who is abounding in Hesed. May we receive and abide in your Hesed. May your Hesed allow us to be a faithful people. And may we be a people known to be your disciples because we have Hesed for one another. And may Hesed spread to our neighbors, to our city. May the people that we come in contact with be transformed by your Hesed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.